Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Rocky Mountain Bicycles is turning 40 this year, and to celebrate, the brand is giving Single Tracks listeners a chance to win one of five limited edition prize packs. Visit singletracks.com slash Rocky Mountain 40 by August 31st, 2021, and enter your name and a valid email address to be considered. One entry per person, no purchase necessary, and void where prohibited. Click on the show notes for a link to the contest page and to get more information. Happy anniversary, Rocky Mountain. This episode of the Single Tracks Podcast is sponsored by Rocky Mountain. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today we're going to be talking about Rocky Mountain Bicycles. Well, the brand officially got its start in 1981, and this year the innovative brand is celebrating its 40th anniversary. In that time, Rocky Mountain has produced countless innovations and firsts, and their sponsored athletes have won races on all of the world's biggest stages. Today, Dre, Hester, and Stephen Matthews are joining me to talk about the brand's history and to look to the future. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Jeff. Well, take us back to the beginning, Stephen. How did Rocky get its start? In the late 1970s, uh, before the term mountain biking really existed, um, it was basically an owner and a couple of his friends that were riding, and they worked in a shop here in Vancouver, British Columbia. Hmm. And they basically found that the bikes that were available at the time just weren't up to snuff for how they wanted to ride. So, you know, things they wanted to push it off road, they wanted to start taking cuts through the park and riding on rougher terrain. And mm -hmm. I mean, things were just basically breaking in half. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah. So what they decided to do um, was they basically started kind of cutting up bikes and rewelding them to be stronger in different ways. And it became successful enough that the customer response started to grow and their friends wanted them. And, and it just grew really really organically. So that was in the late 70s. And by 1981, um, the original owner, his name is Grayson Bain, he registered the company and Rocky Mountain Bicycles was born. Yeah. And the, the company, I mean, this was early days for mountain biking and the company started out really as a mountain bike brand, right? It did. Yeah. Yeah. The Like I, I was saying with the, the chopping up bikes and chopping up 10 speeds to make them more adaptable for rougher terrain, it started the desire of riding off-road so it really rocky mountain is is pretty cool in the sense of it really was one of the first true mountain bike companies yeah yeah that's awesome well dre tell us about the brand's first production bike the sherpa how much did that bike sell for back then and who was sort of the target rider for a bike like that well it's uh it's funny that you ask um that was a long time ago and that is that even predates me believe it or not the sherpa was kind of a duet Hopefully you've done your homework and you can fill us in. I, I honestly missed that part of the, uh, I think it was somewhere around $800. It was, uh, you know, which was a lot of money back then for this, uh, you know, as a mountain bike. What, is, what are these mountain bike things? But that bike has kind of stayed within the line in and out. It's always been an adventure bike that takes people in the true spirit of mountain biking mm -hmm. out to explore your backyard. And I think they really kind of nailed it. You know, the name speaks speaks volumes to what mountain biking gives all of us. You know, you're, you've got that Sherpa experience out in the mountains. And um, yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, unlike a lot of brands and, you know, Rocky Mountain has grown a ton over the years, but despite getting bigger and bigger and, you know, adding all kinds of bikes to the line, the brand's really stayed true to its roots as a, a mountain bike and an off-road brand. What does that mean in terms of like the corporate culture there? What's it like working at Rocky Mountain, Stephen? Um, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's, we wear our, we wear our hearts on our sleeves. I think it's exactly <laughs> what you expect. Everybody, everybody here loves riding bikes and the company or in the culture of mountain biking. Uh, we actually have two offices. Our head office is in St. George, Quebec. Um, and out there we've got our executive team and our finance team and 
HR and our electrical engineering team and some of the customer service and, and warehousing. And then the R&D center is still in North Vancouver, or is in Vancouver here. We're actually located in North Vancouver. And that's where our marketing team, our R&D team, uh, some of our customer service, and then also our product team works out of. And, you know, I think, you know, like you mentioned, we've grown a ton and having the two offices across Canada has helped facilitate that growth, both for mm-hmm. receiving product, um, strategic positioning across the country and, the, and how we can service the world. Mm-hmm. But really the... You know, the heart of, of loving to ride our bikes in our backyard on Vancouver's North Shore is alive and well. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to be part of that. I love riding bikes, and uh, I ride with the guy, the guys and girls that work here as much as we possibly can. So um, we're very lucky to have as many trails and the quality of trails that we do right in our backyard. Yeah, yeah. And what about you, Dre? You're based in BC, aren't you? What's what's sort of what does that mean to be sort of immersed in that culture? I mean, BC is that's arguably one of the the main the heart and soul really of of mountain biking. I mean, that's where a lot of innovation comes from, a lot of progression in riding and trails and all that. I mean, what does that mean to be a part of that, and and how does that filter into Rocky Mountain? Yeah, it's, some people call um, BC sort of the mecca of mountain biking. And I think it's it's just a byproduct of people who love biking. And we've had road cycling here forever. But um, the mountains are our backyard. And uh, mm-hmm. being, being that mecca, I grew up in Victoria, which is just across the pond. I live in North Shore, North Vancouver right now. And mm-hmm. after racing World Cups and uh, this Victoria is sort of where, you know, Allison Sider, Jeff Kabush, Ryder Hedgedal, Roland Green – it's a real cross country, um, technical, great, great hills to ride in. But eventually mm-hmm. I got a bit bored of that. And the North Shore called to me the wild, gnarly ladder bridges and the evolution <laughs> of a riding style that, you know, you, you cut your teeth on hills and, and even the East Coast of the US has some pretty aggressive terrain. But once you layer in that, that vertical snow capped peaks to the base and you know, a lot of my friends are from Ontario or they've moved out from Quebec and, and they're here. We're all here for the same reasons. And that's really what the company culture is, is that passion for cycling and getting a bit gnarly, you know, is really what mm-hmm. drives all of us to be here. So we share that on a daily mm-hmm. basis. You know, we're yakking about what trail you rode. You know, we all default to different groups. We try to ride together. But at the end of the day, the conversations multiple times a day. What trail were you riding? Oh, how, what bike you on? How, how's a, oh, a flat tire? This this sucks. That's great. Good condition now. Oh, bony. It's getting summer and dry. So that, that really is underpinning to the entire um, company is uh, love the ride, passion for two wheels, and, and getting getting out there. Yeah, that's awesome. I have very much the similar story of I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, so front range of the Rockies, but basically on the prairies and my older brother and I were, you know, addicted to mountain biking at a young age, and and a lot of the things that Rocky Mountain was putting out there in the early two thousands with Wade Simmons and the free ride movement, all that we really latched onto, and um, it was a huge motivator for for moving from Alberta to British Columbia was the mountain bike culture, and mm-hmm. fortunately, I landed myself in the heart of it here. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 and I mean that obviously that really shows people who are passionate are going to do their best work at designing bikes and pushing the envelope and, you know, really figuring out like this works, this doesn't work. Like how can we make this better? And I think that's really clear by looking at the bikes that Rocky mountain has put out over the years. So sticking sort of back, still back in history in the nineties, Rocky mountain actually started the component brand race face. And a lot of people are familiar with race face today. How are the two companies related now? I know you guys share a race team uh, together. And so Dre, tell us a little bit about sort of that relationship. Well, I'll, I'll give you the start of it. Cause I was actually there when it began <laughs> and, not, and then I'm, and then Steven can take it where it's evolved to, because uh, it really is a great relationship. So back in the day, I think it was around 95 or 96, Rocky Mountain wanted to kind of create a component side. And so they brought in a few CNC machines. And they actually started with soft goods, which mm-hmm. funnily enough, they put on the athletes. And we had uh, 
plaid short sleeves and t-shirts and the, the whole race face was kind of spawned. And then they moved into cranks and handlebars and stems. And um, it's not actually, it's, it's not the only company that has come out of Rocky as you know, we like to talk about the Rocky mountain family tree because Synchros originally the, the two fellows who started that worked at Rocky to uh, was incredibly famous welder. He started his own company. He was, he was coming out of there. So we've had a few other offshoots, but race face being one of our more prolific children, yeah. but eventually they grew big enough that they wanted to fly on their own. And that was when they sort of separated the saucer sections and in the, in the short and long of it, we've always maintained that these other siblings or, or uh, the kin of Rocky mountain, we always try to tell that story that, you know, because of, you know, the filial relationships that we have, that we try to spec the product with race face, which then extends to kind of where our EWS team and our teams are at with current situation, in which case I'll hand it to you, Stephen, to pick up that. Yeah. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah. Basically, we've always had a great relationship with, with race face and there's been crossover over the years pretty consistently just in different ways so some of our free riders like wade simmons have ridden for race face forever um and so there's just been a really natural tie between the two brands to stay in touch after we split apart to be two different companies and so when we were putting together a race program which Dre was very involved with and, and now i i manage and run you know we kind of looked at who's in our own backyard and how do we make a, a team that not only can win and, and be really successful in a pure racing standpoint, but is interesting, has a great history. We can kind of harp on our, our Canadian roots and, and have a bit of a, a theme within, within the racing atmosphere that people globally can pay attention to. So working with race race has been great. Our team runs their soft goods as well as the, the components on, on the bike. So things like handlebars, stems, wheels, and uh, it's just been really, it's honestly been a lot of fun to work with them on the project. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah, speaking of racing, Dre, you actually raced for Rocky Mountain at the 96 Olympics in the inaugural mountain bike event. So we've got the Olympics coming up, or I guess by the time this airs, they will have just passed. But tell us, what was that like being there at the, the first mountain bike Olympic event? Well, um, you know, the Olympics are what they are. They are an incredible crowning achievement to any athlete's uh, palmars. I was coming up through the ranks from provincial state racing to national level racing. And I kind of landed on the international scene early in 96 with a Cactus Cup win. Mm -hmm. I, if there was one person who I ever admired, it was John Tomac. So uh, I did beat him and Henrik Jernis. And those were kind of my, wow. um, my, my peers, uh, which was a really incredible arrival for me to get onto the podium with those guys. Later that year, everybody was trying to qualify for their, the, yeah, the, the inaugural mountain bike arrival at the Olympics. So I was fortunate enough to be on, on, on my game, um, young 26-year-old, mm -hmm. maybe just a little older than Matthew Vanderpoel, but uh, you know, still feel like I had some, <laughs> some <laughs> heat in the leg. And uh, it was incredible. Yeah. Um, my honestly funniest moment is, my dad and my, my parents kind of poo-pooed this whole mountain bike thing. Like, oh, you're just a surf bum. You're just ride, borrowing our car, <laughs> borrowing our money to go to these mountain bike races. But when you kind of give them the, hey, I just got selected to the Olympic team. It was kind of like a, 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 you know, a, a head whipped around. And suddenly you had validated this entire experience of being a, a surf bum or a skateboarder. And, and it, it made it real. And it made it real for the whole industry that mountain biking, because it was kind of a fad back then. Mm. Yeah, where's the fad going to go? Sure, it's kind of cool, but is it really here to stay? And I think that was a really big moment. It sort of predated the the freeride movement, which then continued to evolve the sport. But yeah, when you arrive at the Olympics, the world notices and they see you as a, as a true sport. And that was um, being part of that first wave, that inaugural acceptance of mountain biking as, um, you know, a world-class sport was, was pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Which bike were you riding in the race? Well, we were, you know, I thought hard to, uh, sorry, yeah, full suspension back then was uh, not efficient, too heavy. So everybody, I think absolutely was on a hard tail. So it was the vertex, which I rode, you know, probably straight for a decade and, and my back is still suffering from it because I won't get on a hard tail anymore. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Understandable. Well, Stephen, tell us about some of the other more recent sponsored athletes' performances that stand out to you over the years. Obviously, Rocky Mountain sponsors a number of different athletes in a number of different mountain bike disciplines. So which ones um, to you are, are kind of your favorites over the years? Yeah, I think as you mentioned, um, we've been involved with the whole sports marketing professional athlete side of things for many years like over over 30 years but uh it's changed disciplines over the years you know through the 90s and the stories that dre was just talking about with the olympics and things we were huge into cross country mm-hmm. and you know you've got allison sidor winning first canada or sorry the first world cup aboard rocky mountain in 92 uh and then you fast forward to the 96 olympics you've got dre hessler you know with his cactus cup win and the olympics was that 96 dre mm-hmm. yeah 96 all right, look at that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, moving kind of shifting gears away from cross country a bit, perhaps, you know, Wade Simmons won the inaugural Red Bull Rampage, which is so far from cross country racing, you can't get much. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty cool to see, you know, Rocky Mountain take a step in a completely different direction. I think we'll probably touch on that a little bit more later, but take a step in a different direction and do really well at it from the, from the get-go. And that legacy continued. Guys that were still sponsoring, like Thomas Vanderham, competed in, I think, I think he's told me 10 years of Red Bull Rampage contests, at least. Uh, there was a while there where he competed in every single one, hmm. which is super impressive. And then in more recent years, yeah. we, we've switched disciplines again to, to support enduro racing. And we had Jesse Melamed uh, win at home in Whistler, British Columbia an enduro world series race and, and since then he's been back up top of the podium uh in the first place position twice uh we mm-hmm. do still still exist in the cross-country world but not necessarily in the world cup ranks where we're more focused on multi-day stage events and uh and guys like felix burke have taken the win at at the bc bike race which is a event here that dre's involved with that we've been partnered with for many many years so it's been interesting to watch it evolve you know, some of those dates I mentioned are before I was really involved with cycling, but working here, I've, I've had an opportunity to look back at some of those and it's super impressive. And the things I do remember, like from the early 2000s on are, uh, it's cool to be a part of those. So, yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah, you mentioned Red Bull Rampage and Free Ride actually is part of the Rocky Mountain heritage. Um, and the brand was sort of there from the beginning. I mean, in 97, you guys signed Richie Schley, Wade Simmons, and Brett Tippy. Later, they were, became known as the Fro Riders, I think, from based on an ad that you guys put out, right, that uh, had them wearing wearing wigs. So, Dre, what was it about these guys and Freeride in particular that was so compelling for Rocky Mountain to get involved and to sponsor them and to really like promote this this new sort of style of mountain biking? Well, it's a, it's a funny question because I was still sort of head deep in the cross country world, and then as I was getting a little older, we started to work with the whole team from the downhill, the cross country, and the Freeriders. And Wade had uh, it's a long story, but he'd gone from wheel building at Rocky in the factory to racing some downhill Canada cups. And then he was kind of like, Oh, this racing stuff. I just want to ride my bike. And then they started working with photographers. Hmm. And I know from, um, I had the you know good fortune to meet these, these fine fellas and spent a lot of time with them. And now we're all fast friends, but it was, it was really Richie who came along and they kind of have this Kamloops connection between Wade and Tippy and Richie and Richie gave the professional he was chasing the covers of the magazines as a skier and Wade would say, enough of the racing. This is ridiculous. I want to ride. And that was kind of how they, they grew the movement. Free ride was about showing the expression of um, the style of riding and the amplitude. And, and it was progressing so naturally in, in Vancouver with these ladder bridges that I think they, mm-hmm. they just took the fun factor of riding and they really put that on the covers of the magazines. And I think that's where, you know, cross country, for all intensive purposes is, you know, you're in the pain cave for a long time. It's not for everybody. <laughs> and, right. uh, and these guys put the fun and the style into what mountain biking is. And I think that's where their success really came from. Mm-hmm. And we, they were getting sued at the time I, by some unknown company for the word uh, free ride. Cause someone tried to, uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah. Like trademark it. Yeah. Trade, trademark that. So they, that's why they came out with the fro ride. 
And uh, it was, <laughs> was kind of like, let's poke. It's more fun. We'll just keep poking fun at everything because this sport is yeah. challenging. It's terrifying. It's hard, but it's fun. And that's why we do it. Mm-hmm. So I think what really resonated for everybody was these guys are hilarious. And Wade launches over the Marzocchi truck and they're amazing athletes. So that kind of just, I think, really echoed with everybody like they're having fun they're doing cool stuff then they took it on the road and they started traveling to different parts of the world where you can see the kids connecting with these athletes not from the race results perspective but really from just what they stood for was good style good times good fun yeah well and free riders i mean they're continuing to push the envelope um in terms of like style and and the tricks that they're able to do how does that like filter back into bike development as well i mean is that something that rocky mountain is able to capitalize on and and use in the different bikes uh that you guys are working on steven yeah i'm you know it's it's kind of one of those things when we go to design a bike and and i'm speaking not as a bike designer but as a a guy who works for the brand on the marketing side but you know, there's the needs of a of somebody competing at the highest level of racing or the highest level of free riding are much different than you or I or I mean Dre's up there, but um, yeah, right. <laughs> that limit. So so there there's certain needs that they're after, but the mm-hmm. the ability for them to push product to the limit and and live on that leading edge, it kind of shows you know the lines to stick between, and then mm-hmm. depending on how you want your product to feel, respond, ride. Uh, take it back a notch or move it in, in half the direction or whatever. Uh, we're really fortunate that I mentioned Thomas Vanderham's name a little bit earlier as a free rider who's mm-hmm. competed in many, many rampage contests. He's one of the most well-known free riders in the world and he's ridden for us for a long time. And um, mm-hmm. over the years he's progressed his role and he's still very involved from a sports marketing athlete side, but he's also super involved with our R and D team. So he, mm. He actually comes in for weekly meetings. Um, he's really involved with uh, everything from early prototyping and concepting straight through till finally there's a, a production test mule to ride. And it's his feedback that, that we definitely take into consideration as the more expert level of who's going to be riding these bikes. Mm-hmm. So when we, go, when we go to design a bike, we have people of different abilities ride it and because they're going to come up with different responses of what they feel for the product. And he represents that, that true core, very high level riding, which mm-hmm. as you and I know there's a lot of great riders out these days. There's, there's a ton of new riders and there's also a lot of people that with progressive technology and, and better bike trails than we've ever had ride at a very high level. And so right. we're very lucky to have Thomas here helping us speak to that market. I, I think it's I just add to that. I think it's really interesting how um, different athletes segue their knowledge bases into regular work and while i've never been as technical you know on the feel and the sensitivity of the angles of a bike it's really the way thomas's mind works that his he tries things he looks at things so we, we're very fortunate to have thomas working with the r&d team and bringing that expertise but his mind really thinks like that as an engineer and then you know we talked about wade wade's gone to the sales team he's the stoke master he's out there pumping the yeah, and I've come to the marketing team. I like, you know, given the working with Steven on, you know, getting people stoked on the ride and, and true out their experiences. But again, back to Thomas, like it's just the way his mind works that he can translate that experiential feeling of a different angle, different mm-hmm. degrees, different shock settings and relate that to the engineers and they build. It's just a, a huge kudo to to Rocky to have a guy like that working with our developers. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Dre, when you were describing sort of how Freeride got started and what those guys were doing, you know, they were just out there, like you said, having fun. They weren't necessarily racing or competing initially. It made me think of of trail riding. I mean, that's kind of how we describe trail riding today. And that's obviously a huge part of the market. That's where you know, most, most of the folks who are listening to this podcast are, you know, seeing themselves as they, they ride for fun. They look for trail bikes that are comfortable, that are going to perform well. And, you know, it sounds like free riders, like, like Thomas Vanderham, like he's able to translate that, you know, there isn't a big market for free ride bikes, right? I mean, (laughs) not many brands are still making those, but, you know, it sounds like surprisingly there's a good, uh, translation between free ride and, and what most of us are trying to do today, which is just have fun. 
or we, we actually call it free ride light. And that's kind of what I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, wheels in the air, you know, a couple of feet off the ground and then there's progressive and then watching the next generation come in. Uh, I mean, that's the eight to 12 year olds now. And then there's the 12 to 18s. Like now they have access to all the bike parks out there, the coaches and bar none, the incredible equipment that's come to service all of those, uh, those experiences. And I think to go from where I started with toe clips, rigid bikes and six speeds and terrible cantilever brake pre V brakes. Mm -hmm. And then to see what my kids, I got a couple of an eight and a 12 year old and they've just got these disc brakes, full suspension bikes. You're like, Oh my God, like this industry right now is so fortunate. And the next generation, this generation of bikes to ride. And you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's kind of like there's a little free ride in all of us and we call that trail. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Well, seems like Rocky Mountain has been one of the first to introduce a number of things uh, over the years. And I've always been fascinated with the fact that you guys are bikes.com. Like, does anybody know how that happened? Were you guys like the first bike company on the Internet? Well, it's an, it's an interesting. Um, and Stephen was like, we were just chit, chit chatting about how, I don't know anything about how this happened. And there is a guy <laughs> and, and his name was Craig Pollock. And he was very involved with race face and getting race face. He was the general manager, actually the first guy to hire me to Rocky Mountain. And then when he mm -hmm. involved with race face, he helped separate that over to becoming their own company. And he went on to work with a lot of athletes and a lot of movies, but at somewhere along that, you know, that incubation of, you know, Hey, there's this thing called the internet. <laughs> and you're like, what? What's the internet? <laughs> the inter <laughs> what? And, you know, he was just a forward thinking guy and he's, you know, he just had the opportunity to grab bikes.com. And I think we probably sat on that for, you know, a good four or five years before it came to fruition that, oh, you don't need to do those uh, paper catalogs anymore, you know, anymore that boxes and boxes of them arrive, hundreds of thousands of dollars of glossy pictures wrapped into a catalog mm -hmm. and send to bike stores. Right. The internet can save the environment. We can, we can transfer information. And lo and behold, that's, you know, I like to give credit where credit's due. That was Craig Pollock's acquisition, bikes.com. Wow. That's awesome. Well, yeah, another first for you guys, or you guys were among the first to introduce a 27.5 trail bike. That was almost 10 years ago. So how was the brand able to react so quickly to that new wheel size? And and is the brand like, do you guys feel like you're you're good at taking risky bets or did it not seem risky at the time? Can I start with that one, Stephen? The, the, the beauty, sorry, buddy. The beauty of um, Rocky's always been a kind of a small company. While we, we walk big and we, you know, we have lots of great athletes and we've, you know, incredible bikes. We're actually quite a small, nimble company. And to have that R and D facility that we've had for, you know, actually forever, we've been manufacturing bikes, bikes went overseas. We did all the R and D, we built all our mules in house. We've always tested them on the North shore. So to have the ability to be a medium, small size company, with a nimble uh, production R&D facility, that's what enabled us to try different things. And because we have such core values here to believe in what's going on and what we're doing. So I don't know that we're a risk-taking company per se, is we're not afraid to try things. And if we believe it will make riding better, we'll pursue it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything to add, Stephen? Yeah. I was just going to say, I think Dre hit the nail on the head with, with the idea of trying things and, and willingness to, to maybe look beyond what's right in front of our nose. And I think it comes from having the right people at the company and passionate people that are out there riding their bikes. And in this case, the, you know, they were at the time riding 26 inch wheels in our, on our backyard trails on very demanding, famous trails. And mm -hmm. this idea of 27.5, which helped in certain ways came around and it's like, okay, well, let's, let's make this in house. Let's, rip out the backyard trails that we all know really well and are um are truly great for testing bikes and you see the benefits right away and so it was a, an opportunity taken by having great access and the right people involved yeah and it, i mean it makes a lot of sense too that it for mountain bikers progression is it's like like a core value and it sounds like that's a core value at rocky as well um in terms of always trying to try new things and get better and see what works and what doesn't work. Today, we're seeing the 27.5 wheels on smaller frames and then 29er wheels on larger sizes. And the Altitude from Rocky Mountain is one of the bikes that's set up that way. 
What do you guys think about the tweener wheel size? Is this kind of, we finally found the ideal use case for the smaller frame sizes or are there other opportunities still out there for 27.5 as well? Yeah, I think, you know, the way that we've done it is at the time, like you mentioned with altitude and current instinct as well, where the smaller sizes feature 27.5 wheels. And as you move up in a couple of our bikes, we have a crossover. So like as an example, you can buy an altitude size medium frame as a 27.5 bike or a 29 bike. That crossover and instinct is in size small. But the point being that we're using the 27.5 wheels for better standover. Um, in, and in certain mm-hmm. regards, we, we actually have like in our extra small instinct, we actually have a different frame silhouette to increase standover still. So the way that we are currently using 27.5 wheels versus 29 is basically to give riders no matter what size they are the best ride experience possible so Mm. you know someone who's five foot two there's definitely disadvantages of running a 29 inch wheeled bike it's harder to handle you just have less leverage with shorter limbs um all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff and so so it's really this kind of idea of maintaining proportions whether you're five foot two or six foot four and that's the way that we're doing it now so i think it's a good theory and and by adapting our frames to do that across our size, it's it's allowed us to serve the riding market better. I think that's how we're doing it. You can see how other people are using it. Obviously, the explosion of, of mullet bikes and downhill racing mm-hmm. and even starting to come into some trail things shows that other brands um, see a use for it in a different way. So I don't think yeah. the tweener wheel is, is going away anytime soon because I think we're starting to see different uses for it than just... 27.5 with trail bikes. Yeah, I think I just add to that. And I, I think that these are all tools. What we're, what we're learning in, in our progression is that there are tools at our disposal and that we, we shouldn't poo-poo any of them. Um, and I don't want to mitigate or minimize what, you know, uh, what Steven says, because I'm going to talk about kids' bikes. And that's not like saying that's an answer to 27.5, because I also have a quite a short wife. And when you want that standover, pretty important that you get the max amount of clearance when you're going over a frames and teeter totters, roots, rocks, and drops. So to have a bike that fits, but migrating an eight year old through 24, 26, 27, 29 wheels, when you can mullet change, change, even mullet up and change, mm-hmm. you know, it, we've only really arrived in the kids market in the last, well, my kids 11 and a half now. And I was scared at when he was two or four, there was nothing in the market of anything competent enough to handle the the north shore where we ride so i've used it as a tool for many different applications within a kid's bike as 24 24 6 26 26 26 27 and then 27 27 27 29 like and that (laughs) idea of mulleting you know it's just what's your style of riding what you know we have a tool if you want to ride this way or that way or you need more standover at the end of the day how can we get you out there for the best experience possible yeah yeah do you think um, after hearing that? Do you think Dre's raising a family of mountain bikers, or is there any <laughs> any confusion on that? Yeah, no, none at all. And I mean, that's great perspective too, because you hear a lot of you know mountain bikers, core riders. You know, they they seem confused, right? They're like twenty seven five. I thought that was the thing, and now you're telling us it's twenty nine er. But hearing your perspective, it's clear that this is all about progression, right? I mean, nobody knows what's going to work and, you know, we're constantly trying new things and we tried 27.5 and it worked really well. And then we were like, wait a minute, like this works well for certain riders, but other riders, we can do something a little bit differently and we can customize. And Rocky Mountain has been doing that throughout its history. And, you know, the other thing, Dre, when you were talking about your crazy wheel size swaps was making me think of like the ride nine system as well, where you're able to like tweak the bike to get it exactly the way you want it, because we all ride differently. We all progress in our riding as well. I mean, you buy a bike, you know, you're at one level, but then you ride it for a little while, a year later, hopefully you're at another level. And so, yeah, that's, that's a really great perspective, I think. I think it's versatility and, and you know, we, we have to push out from our myopic view of North Vancouver and, and think about where do other people ride and what's their style of riding. And I, I you know, we're all believers in N plus one, but that's us as, you know, mm-hmm. hardcore industry guys. we got a garage <laughs> right. full of bikes, right? So, but, you know, certain years you're focused on pedaling and fitness. And for me, I'm always working on my 
my jump prowess so I can catch up to Wade and Richie and but that's never going to happen <laughs> so maybe I'm going to wave in a dirt jumper and and that's got a different set of uh, requirements for for what I want to add to my progression but if you're trying to get one person who's if they're in that one bike does it all they're going to need a lot of different tools at their disposal to get it to fit them and that's mm-hmm. we'll go back to the ride nine chip and that's where you can really customize and not, you know, these are these are just tweaks and tunes to help that person get their riding style maximized for their for uh, where they live. And that's I think that's pretty important these days. Yeah. And I mean, we look back to the the start of Rocky Mountain. I mean, the whole idea was to build a bike that can ride off road. I mean, if if people just said like, yeah, one bike can do it all. I mean, we wouldn't have wouldn't have mountain bikes. So it's a great point. So I want to ask you guys about your personal favorite Rocky Mountain bike. Could be a current bike or a former one uh, that was in the lineup. What's what's a bike that like Stephen for you is like really iconic, like one you're really proud of, or one that really like sort of carries the Rocky Mountain brand the best? Yeah, you know I've I've worked here for four years now and gotten to hop on couple different things i came from a free ride background and so really longer travel uh more aggressive riding and and as as i get older i start to pedal more and more mm-hmm. <laughs> and and i don't know uh, you know I, one of the coolest things i got to be involved with from working here was jump on the, our current versions of slayer and altitude from an early mule stage mm-hmm. straight through to seeing them to now in production and so when I'm out on the trail and I see somebody rolling around on a current altitude, I, you know, I think back when I got to ride our current Slayer, perhaps when I got to ride an alloy unpainted mule and give my feedback mm-hmm. on what I liked. And so I think that one's pretty special to me is, is our current Slayer 2.9. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot more time on my altitude 2.9 than I do on my Slayer purely just because I ride out the back door and the Slayer is a bit more of a free ride park focus than a, a long travel everyday bike but those, those are special to me and um as far as rocky mountains history go i remember being a kid and seeing those green flamed rm7s in the early 2000s and i never got my hands on one but i keep looking <laughs> keep looking on online to buy one don't tell me yeah right on what about you dre what, which bikes stand out for you and and ones that that you think yeah really really showcase what rocky mountain has done well, I think that uh, the Element has to be my my favorite bike because I can think of the the transition that I've gone as an athlete through my career or life, and the Element has kind of reflected that. From I think at one point it was the lightest full suspension bike created with with bushings, at which point I was like all into hardtails, and I finally climbed on board. And thought, Whoa, <laughs> these things are amazing! To the yeah. adventures it's taken me on, BC bike race you know, trans Alp, uh, big events, trans, trans Andes, like just all over the world on this element bike. That's just built for adventuring and, and going fast. And that's what I really liked. And eventually as we evolved into carbon, get this, I slapped a 150 32 Fox on the front and we were still on 26 inch wheels then. And I was attacking the North shore on an element. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I had a buddy of mine said, Oh, Dre, you're actually, I've never seen you ride so well. You're doing great. I'm like, it's all in the bike. It's the element. Further to that, <laughs> I eventually started doing more time on bigger bikes. And I'd have to say that the instinct, the the previous incarnation, the instinct BC, again progressed my riding to well, I could ride any trail I want on this bike. And now the current instinct kind of represents my style of any trail is possible, any adventure is possible. It's a one bike, do everything for me. So between the element and the instinct, which are certainly on the smaller side, I'm I'm absolutely kind of paired well with my life yeah and either one would probably be a good choice for the bc bike race right is is that kind of kind of fit with your thinking yeah like if you if you're you know hot shot racer you're definitely going for the element and you know it's going to give you a bit more performance for for pedaling and a little bit lighter for the last few years i've actually been riding an instinct at the bc bike race because i've kind of taking a backseat to the race and a bit more about just enjoying the seven days of riding with people so a bit more travel allows me just to kind of cruise a bit more and enjoy it but yeah they're they're both perfect applications for the bc bike race but i mean it's, it's about getting out there and in and, and fit, fitting it to your style of riding right yeah 
Well, I'm, I'm interested to hear about weird bikes. Are there any like unique or like particularly ones that just totally failed and bombed? Like what, what are some of those bikes over the years from Rocky Mountain that, that you guys are aware of? Oh, weird bikes. I mean, honestly, we, we have definitely had some weird bikes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the, the Suzy Q, I'm, I'm actually at our R&D facility in North Vancouver to take this call and looking at one of the original Suzy Q frames and it was this like, it was called, I think they called it torpedo tubing. So you can imagine it kind of narrowed at the back, kind of like the head of a torpedo missile. Mm. Um, yeah. But the thing with the Suzy Q is it had an elevated drive side chain stay, which allowed for a narrower Q factor crank for efficiency okay. you could run the chain underneath the chain stay instead of over top like like it is mm-hmm. like. so the result is this crazy tube shaped bicycle <laughs> narrow yeah. factor and an elevated chain stay it's, it's ridiculous yeah cool wow <laughs> and then you know i i also think about progression of you mentioned ride nine earlier and some of the ideas of where that came from there were some bikes i guess it would be in the late 90s that had a like the etsx that had a technology called NE3, and it was basically mm-hmm. a quick release at the the rearward shock mount that allowed you to put the shock in NE3 of the any of the three positions essentially, right? And that, that adjusted geometry and suspension feel and all that. And so that kind of idea of customizing your ride that Dre touched on earlier has carried forward into we have Ride Nine now, which is a much more refined system than a quick release on your rear shock but another kooky bike for sure yeah right we also this was is it was crazy when we started but we we talked about straight up geometry which was getting that seat post up into a steeper angle and now everybody does it you know you, you have some right fancy yeah. name for it what a decade ago and then suddenly yeah. you can't uh-huh. adopt it and you've forgotten about where it, where sort of the idea incubated from but we're slacking out the head too but that makes the seat the, the climbing tough so let's just steepen it up. And, you know, that one turned out to be a great idea. So we, we do try lots of funny things, but for the most part, they don't get farther than the test field out in the backyard. Right. Or the computer screen, somebody mocks it up and everybody's like, nope, not doing that. Well, your R&D department worked on the Dynami e-bike drivetrain system, I'm told for 10 years. And the brand finally launched its first electric mountain bike in 2017. So. Stephen, can you tell me what what makes Dynami so unique in terms of e-bike drive systems? Yeah, so um, I mean that was a, obviously a huge project, uh, releasing our first e-bike um, and 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 not pairing with some of the bigger brands that are currently out there, like a Bosch system or a Shimano system. Um, doing our own thing, which again speaks to our history of how we've always done things uh, with our with our regular analog mountain bikes. And then now as we go into e-bikes, it's about putting that Rocky Mountain spin on things. And I mean, the basic premise was um, with a Shimano or Bosch system, it it is this shape and size and, and you essentially have to design the bike around the drive system versus the other way around is we wanted to design a bike as we wanted the bike to be. And then incorporate the drive system. So, you know, again, making sure that whether we're talking about, um, oh, sorry, I see Dre. Uh, he's waving. Ronan, how are you? <laughs> yeah, like, time out. <laughs> One, uh, um, yeah, the basic concept of, uh, you know, we want to make sure the bike has that signature Rocky Mountain feel and incorporates the drive system into it. So, we worked and developed the Dynami system, and the one that we launched our bikes with, uh, we launched with an altitude power play, was the third iteration, so Dynami 3. Mm. And the basic idea is that it's a lower RPM motor, um, so it spins at about 1,200 RPM, which is considerably less than, than other systems on, on the market, which is, it means less motor whine, and it's actually more efficient. And then mm. the other thing that we went forward with is it's a really high torque system, so it's uh, 108 newton meters of torque, which means when you step on the pedals, it's instant response. There's no delay on or off, and it's mm-hmm. there's no mistake. You're on an e-bike. It's it's <laughs> we have a really powerful motor, and uh, and it's also really seamlessly natural feeling because of the way the power is applied. So there's no 
pause once you stop pedaling. There's no delay in it, in it turning off. And, and so it makes a really nice bike, whether you're feathering a climb, trying to like get up and around a technical section, you can kind of nurse the mm-hmm. motor a bit. And it just makes for a great thing. So by doing this, making a proprietary design, we're able to use, you know, a standard race face bottom bracket in a, in a frame versus through a drive system like some of the other systems that are out there. And generally just design the bike how we want it versus being you know, handcuffed to how other designs are shaped. Yeah. Well, with all that torque too, I mean, it sounds like, again, this is the North shore sort of influencing the design and the product that ultimately comes out because you guys have super steep trails, a lot of them. And, you know, I've noticed with e-bikes, some of the, you know, more widely used drive systems out there, you know, you still got to put a lot of work into climbing up, especially steep stuff is really going to suffer. And it sounds like Dynamy addresses some of those issues and, and really makes it for a system that's going to work in places like the North Shore. Oh, it works everywhere. I was uh, I was out in Mount St. Anne a couple of years ago for the inaugural. They had the Gosh, first. like something I do a lot, yeah. do the inaugural. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you can do it, anybody can do it. It was <laughs> Let the Dre first, try uh, it first. E-Mountain yeah, Bike um, World Championships in Mount St. Anne in 2019. That's good. And I have to say, I was talked into participating. And... Um, at any rate, what I found, and it was a real eye-opener for me, too, because I've been, you know, this is a little bit more away from just the, the technology that Stephen was talking about, which is absolutely awesome. But it's where we embrace the e-bike in our lives as, as uh, peddlers. And um, it, I was riding one once in a while. You know, I got tired. I was uh, short on time. I'd take my e-bike out, and I would enjoy it, and I would put it away. And I was having a mental battle with, you know, when should I use this? Why should I use this? Should I use this? And so I went to Mount St. Anne, got talked into doing this race. The, the course designers, Jestev, put on an absolute beauty of a course. It was so steep, so technical, so gnarly. And then you went downhill. So steep, so technical, so gnarly. It was There was no pretenders allowed out there. And it was like, oh, you can ride your bike like this? Really kind of opened my eyes to really more potential for having fun on the e-bike, not just a short ride, not just a, you know, a, a get out with your friends when you're not fit, just having fun on the bike. You know, like, again, we'll go back to those free riders. What's it all about? It's to be healthy, to do some forest bathing, to have fun. At any rate, the race was hard. It's a world cup and you, know, you bury yourself <laughs> yeah. for an hour and 20 and you, of course, try to keep it upright and not crash and, you know, I, I did a respectable, I think I was 21st or 22nd. The guy who won was 23. I was 48, 49 at the time. He should always get to the ground by a young guy. But yeah, I was like, <laughs> you know, for sure. The the dynamy, the dynamy th- goes uphill like a bat out of hell. The bike is amazing and paired up well with the suspension. I mean, that's the kudos to the engineers that, that match it all up into a seamlessly human feel. But at the end of the day, simply fun and awesome and what a, you know another way to ride your bike and enjoy two wheels yeah i was gonna say outside of the racing atmosphere obviously like you know dre coming from a cross-country background still pedaling bikes like crazy i came from more free ride background and i've really gotten into pedaling and and i'm not afraid to go for a big ride or, or still go out and hit some hit some jumps and big hits but i remember a couple of weeks back uh dre and i took the e-bikes out and went for a big ride on the north shore and yeah, it's so much fun. Like, you know, two guys that are perfectly happy riding cross country or, you know, free ride or, or trail bikes or whatever, you know, you just get on another type of bicycle and it's the same good times, right? So we did this big, big, chunky, steep climb that, you know, you just fly up, like Dre said, and then the whole way down, you're you're laughing and having a good time. So it's it's cool. It's a cool time to be involved with mountain biking because there's just so many different ways to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just another example of progression of our sport. And, you know, again, Rocky Mountain seeing like these opportunities, first it was off-road and now it's, you know, electric off-road and and whatever else is next. So what does the future look like for Rocky Mountain and what are some of the changes? I know you guys can't talk specifically (laughs) about products or things, but like, what are some of the trends uh, maybe that we're all seeing and that you guys are, are sort of tracking for the future? 
we've got our crystal ball out and we're, we're wrapping to see how we can get all the parts and uh, the future, everything organized so we can deliver to everybody who needs bikes in this crazy marketplace. Yeah. Been, yeah. Right. Overwhelming <laughs> blanket of, you know, doubt for people, but you know, the bikes are getting out there more people than ever are riding. I think that's incredible. You know, we're, we're just going to continue to progress along and find things that make riding better, more fun. You can reveal any Stephen? When does this come out? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you, you hit the nail on the head again, Dre. Like, it's this is a really interesting time. The last year and a half for the mountain bike industry has grown like crazy. And really, mm-hmm. the first time it's it's seen exponential growth that isn't with one degree of separation of people who are already converted, right? So, this is we've seen more new riders in the last year and a half than ever before. And, you know, part of that's coming from the, the COVID pandemic and the lack of travel and maybe a bit of extra cash to burn on something. Um, but it's a good time to happen because bikes have never been better and trails have never been better. And the sport's actually a ton of fun. If this had happened 15 years ago when, you know, DH bikes were sketchy and cross-country bikes were uncomfortable and there was no such thing as climbing trails, you had to go up a road first, like, it wouldn't have seen the same kind of retention. So I think for us, the future of Rocky Mountain is we, we have a real opportunity uh, with all these new riders who, who tried and dabbled in a sport and what's their next bike going to be. And we got to make sure we have something for them. So, you know, we've got a pretty, pretty diverse portfolio across our lineup from cross country to gravel, to, to free ride, to trail, to, to e-bikes and uh, making sure that we have something for everyone because hopefully a lot of those people that got to try their bikes for the first time or, or some of the people that were already mountain bikers and are, are into it now more than ever, hopefully we have something for those people. Yeah. Well, one final question for both of you. I'd like to hear how you could sum up the Rocky Mountain brand in three words. I'll start with you, Dre. Well, should I, I can go all cheesy and throw out the tagline, love the ride. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Love the ride. That's cheating, though. It's not. It's not bad. You know, I think <laughs> passionate two wheels, um, all things off road. We, you know, um, core t- true core values. That's a lot of three words. I think. <laughs> I think we're up to like twelve now. Sorry, parts one or one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Steven's got it because he's the marketing guy, so I'm sure he's got it dialed. Yeah. I mean, as the marketing guy, I'd just default to the marketing slogan, but um. I would say um, let's go with uh, innovative, uh, passionate, and let's go. Let's go Canadian. Yeah, those are my three words: innovative, passionate, and Canadian. Yeah, yeah. One, you guys, you guys have the maple leaf uh, features prominently in your branding and marketing as well, and and that's obviously a, a big part of the company, the culture where you're based and and where really all this progression comes from. It's inspired by the trails and the people um, that you ride with. So that's awesome. Well, thanks guys for joining me uh, and talking about Rocky Mountain. I've learned a ton about the brand and yeah, it's really cool to to hear the stories behind some of the bikes and to understand uh, sort of where the brand is heading. So thanks. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having us, Jeff. Uh, it's always good to have a good dance partner who leads us around. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, you can learn more about the Rocky Mountain brand and look through a timeline of their 40-year history on the website at bikes.com. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.